0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The other day I sat down in a restaurant that was new to me, and at the top of the menu was a quotation by one of my favorite food writers, M.F.K. Fisher. It said, First we eat. Then we do everything else. <laughs> Margaret Frances Kennedy Fisher was a great American food writer. She died in 1992 and she wrote throughout her long life and career, uh, but was especially well known in the late 30s and early 40s for her, her food writing and recipe books that helped people make the most of uh, slim pickings in the, in the pantry or uh, During the times of war rations, she taught how to make a feast out of simple things. First we eat, then we do everything else. I resonate with those words when I think about all that I've eaten in my life. I think about family gatherings and dinners with friends and parishioners, uh, those big special event dinners when... Um, there's a banquet or a special speaker or an award given. As I think back over that, uh, those, those events, I, I tend to forget the squabbles at the family tables. I forget what the subject was at the dinner with friends. I forget maybe even what the famous speaker said. But often I can remember the foods. I can remember that one fish that my brother had just caught and it tasted like it had just come out of the ocean. I remember that surprise of all surprises, amazing food at an awards banquet (laughs) where somehow they managed to make the chicken curried in a way no one had ever tasted. I remember those foods, but I can't possibly tell you what was talked about or who said it at those events. Those words of M.F.K. Fisher speak to the priority of food, the priority of eating, the importance of what we do at the table. Those are good thoughts for today when the Church invites us to reflect on what we do at the table, what we do at the altar of God, this day nicknamed Corpus Christi for the body and blood of Christ. Today, when the Church invites us to think more deeply about the sacrament of Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Mass, Holy Eucharist, whatever it is we may call it. In a longer passage, M.F.K. Fisher reveals a little bit of her philosophy around food. I might even call it her theology around food. She says, food for the soul is a part of all religion. As savages know, when they roast a tiger's heart for their god, or as Christians know, when they partake of the body and blood at the mystical feast of Holy Communion. That is why there can be an equal significance in a sumptuous banquet for 5,000 heroes with the king sitting on his iron throne and minstrels singing, or in a piece of dry bread eaten alone by someone simply lifting their eyes unto the hills. Fisher is pointing to what we know, that at every meal, no matter what is eaten, what is shared, when or how, it potentially has some trace, some slight flavor, some hint of the holy within it. (coughs) Fisher suggests that there can be equal significance in all meals, And from a food writer's point of view, I suppose that's true. From a Christian perspective, from my perspective, I think something else of a whole different order happens in the Holy Eucharist. The body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shared in communion is of different stuff. At first, of course, made of ordinary bread and ordinary wine. But later, with the Holy Spirit, this meal Becomes supersized beyond all imagination. From time to time we mention the catechism of the Episcopal Church. It's in the back of the Book of Common Prayer. We use it sometimes in Christian formation opportunities, every once in a while in worship. It's a good reminder of those things that are essential or, or basic for a Christian to think about from an Anglican perspective. Excuse me. In the back of our prayer book, it talks about the benefits of Holy Eucharist. And it says in a lovely short little passage, the benefits we receive from the Holy Eucharist are the forgiveness of sins, the strengthening of our unions with Christ and with one another, and the foretaste of the heavenly banquet, which is our nourishment in eternal life. Those three things come to us through the Holy Eucharist. Whenever we participate in the body and blood of our Lord Christ, we are forgiven. We're forgiven again. Of course, our sins are washed away in baptism, but the ongoing accumulation of sin as we live our lives meets its match in Holy Communion. I love what Ignatius of Antioch called it in the early church. He called Holy Communion the medicine of immortality it's an antidote to prevent us from dying in other words something about the holy eucharist inoculates us from sin from its power over us it helps us like good medicine it increases our resistance level like vitamins it strengthens us the second benefit according to the catechism has to do with strengthen our union strengthening our union with one another and with christ It's our world and our culture that often suggest we live for ourselves, that that what we're getting out of life is what's most important. Communion reminds us that we're in it together. We're all in it together. It's the work of the Blessed Sacrament that is countercultural in its movement of us toward one another. In communion, we're reminded that we need each other at some basic level. We refer to it as a common cup. A common loaf of bread. Those words underscore that we're not really so different from each other after all. And so barriers that we thought were there that we might have noticed earlier fall away in Holy Communion. Barriers of class and education, of differences of national origin or sexual orientation or marital status or income, they all dissolve in the common chalice. Finally, the blood and body of Christ, this holy sacrament, gives us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. And so mindful of the present and grateful for the reality of here and now, we're launched into the future, to that place where the communion of saints is already feasting. Today's reading from the Revelation to John is filled with images of that feast, that, that feast of praise and joy and, and love we live into salvation and power and glory of God. And the voices from, of the faithful from all times and all places blend together in a kind of holy noise that sounds like water rapids, that sounds like the clapping of joy and great waves, that sounds like a thunderstorm of laughter. That vision of heaven reminds us of our destination. And so we celebrate this mystery. We step into it. We're drawn into it by God. There is an Anglican Benedictine called Dom Gregory Dix who wrote an incredibly influential book about the way we think about worship and the sacraments. And near the end of his great work on the Eucharist, Dom Gregory points out that of all the things Jesus said and taught, most have been ignored. When they haven't been ignored, they've been changed beyond all recognition, except for one. As he writes, there is that one command that happened on that one night, that night before his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion, in the meal Jesus celebrated with his friends, when when Jesus took, blessed, broke, and shared in eating and drinking. He commanded his disciples, he commands us, do this in remembrance of me. Keep on doing it. And so Dix wonders about this, and he asks, was ever another command so thoroughly obeyed? We have done that much, in other words. He goes on to write, for century after century, spreading slowly to every continent and country, For every conceivable human need from infancy and before it until extreme old age, from the pinnacles of earthly greatness to the refugees of fugitives in the caves and dens of the earth, people celebrate Holy Communion. And why? Well, Dix offers several reasons. One, it might bring us closer to God. One, it might help us see God more fully More than anything else is because Holy Communion gives us something to do. He writes People have found no better thing than this to do. No better thing for this to do for kings at their crowning or criminals going to the scaffold, for a student sitting for an examination, for the famine of whole places for the soul of a dead lover in thankfulness because a father did not die of sickness, for a village headman much tempted to return to former years, on and on the list goes. All the people in various circumstances and places and times who have done nothing better than celebrate Holy Communion. Nothing better because there was nothing better. We have our own lists, don't we? Those lists we bring, uncompleted, unfinished, we bring with us to church and elsewhere. Things we can't control or sort out, the economy, the workplace, our family. We can't heal the world. We can't heal ourselves. We can't heal our families. We bring our deepest desires of prayer. Holy Communion gives us a way to enact prayer, to embody prayer. And to turn prayer into thanksgiving, which is what that word Eucharist really means. First we eat, and then we do everything else. First we eat, and then we're forgiven. First we eat, and then we're brought again together in community. First we eat, and then we are reoriented toward God's kingdom. God's kingdom now, and God's kingdom beyond. And so we feast. We feast with him who said, They who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. They who eat this bread will live forever. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.